0: for the opportunity to be in your house and to experience the truth of your word that uh, directs us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 4,000 years ago, God started something good. He revealed his will to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your descendants, and through that, I'm going to bless the whole world. It was a great plan. But the descendants of Abraham were more like the sons of anarchy than the Vienna Boys Choir. To the extent that their neighbors actually considered them a curse on mankind, not a blessing, but a curse. And the situation didn't seem very hopeful. But if there was any hope, it was... uh, in Jacob's teenage son, Joseph. He had a spiritual sensitivity that made him aware of God's will for his life. So if there was any hope, Joseph was probably the best option. But of course, that turned out to be another disaster because his brothers plotted to get rid of him and sold him as a slave to a caravan headed for Egypt. Okay, God, what are you going to do now? Well, let's find out. Genesis 39, verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So the favorite son had become an Egyptian slave. That's probably a, what you could call a career-ending setback. But there was an upside. At least God had managed to get that ridiculous coat off his back before the colors seeped into his soul, and God also managed to get him away from his toxic family situation. He was now in Egypt, the most advanced culture of that time, a civilization that was obsessed with the idea of eternity. It was exactly the kind of place where a man of Joseph's caliber could make an impact, but he was a slave. (laughs) just another beast of burden, a faceless insect on an anthill, straining his back to build another pyramid. Except that he was bought by Potiphar, who was the captain of the pharaoh's guard, probably a ruthless, merciless monster with a license to kill, and it wasn't a learner's license. So good luck, Joseph. Could it get any worse? Well, the situation seemed hopeless except for one thing. Verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph. Instead of feeling sorry for himself, instead of becoming bitter, instead of getting angry at God, Joseph never lost his awareness of God's presence. And so he still had this sense of destiny. He knew he'd been set apart for a great purpose. So he decided to go on the offensive and to make the best of a bad situation. Joseph decided he would become the best slave Potiphar had ever seen. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. You see, slavery was not just about hard labor under a taskmaster's whip. Those with exceptional abilities were treated like employees, and they would be given significant responsibilities on their master's estate. Because the most important quality any boss is looking for is someone they can trust. That's very rare. Trustworthiness is far more valuable than education or experience and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. When I was a teenager, I got a job at a trailer plant building mobile homes. And I found myself in one of these companies where everybody is complaining about everything, especially the salary. But I decided instead of being miserable, I was going to apply Colossians 3.23, which says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. So I began to build mobile homes for the Lord. And it was amazing what happened because of that. It changed my attitude. So much so that my bosses began to notice and there were promotions. And I did very well. God made me a blessing to others. In fact, I was sort of the plant chaplain because whenever somebody needed counseling or somebody had experienced a tragedy or they were struggling with depression, the boss said, take an hour and go talk to that person. Out of 100 employees, my six man crew were the top producers. We were actually weeks ahead of all the other crews. It was so much fun. And it all began just with a good attitude. Because a good attitude can change any bad situation. It says in verse 5 from time to time, from the time he put him in charge of the, his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So finally we're getting somewhere. Joseph has become an upwardly mobile executive in the top firm in the country, which can mean only one thing. It's time for another series of unfortunate events. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. She was the typical example of an Egyptian upper class, desperate housewife, beautiful and bored, probably weighed around 120 before she put her makeup on, and then it went up to about 131. Her only amusement came from ordering the slaves around. And obviously they had to do anything she asked because disobedience could be a death penalty. And one day she gave Joseph an order, come to bed with me. She was fascinated by this handsome Hebrew virgin who succeeded in everything he did, so she began to stalk him. Erwin Lutzer writes, because of her husband's neglect, she had to reestablish her self-confidence by seducing other men. You see, the perverted prefer to prey on that which is pure. In the carnal heart, there's no greater pleasure than defiling something that's innocent. His master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. It wasn't a request. It was an order. It had to be obeyed. Joseph had no choice. Well, he did, actually, because you always, Have a choice. You see, if God can't force us to do what is right, then obviously Satan can't force us to do what is wrong. We have a choice. In fact, the choice should already be made long before you ever face the temptation. Long before. Verse 8 says, But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then should I, could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I can't betray my master, and I can't betray God. Joseph called the offer sin. He didn't say well, this is just a harmless fling, a casual affair, consensual recreational sex. You know, when it comes to this, the Bible hasn't changed. hasn't changed one bit. Because God intended sex to be exclusively enjoyed within marriage between a man and a woman, period. That's it. But our culture has scoffed at God. We've spit in his face, we defied his will, and now there's more disobedience per square inch in this area than any other, and sex has become available to anyone in any situation. And there are so many options. Now, let me just say that homosexuality is not our biggest problem. There's a much bigger problem than that. It's called adultery. And that's not our biggest problem because there's a much bigger problem than that, and that's called fornication, sex before marriage. And that's not our biggest problem because there's an even bigger one than that, and that's called pornography. It's what we do when we're alone. All of this is a wicked thing and a sin against God, even when the people doing it are such nice Wonderful people. It's still a sin. In our erotic culture of sexual insanity, temptation is everywhere. So we have to be very clear where God's boundaries are. Egypt was also a place where they'd gone insane sexually. Verse 10, And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. Now, you'd think she would have gotten the message. But this lady wouldn't take no for an answer. She just needed a little more makeup. Verse 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and and none of the household servants was inside. Now, that's dangerous. That is really dangerous. You know, a good policy for a man to have who's married is to never be alone with another woman. Never, in any circumstances. Of course, 9 out of 10 times, it wouldn't be a problem. Or 99 out of 100 times, it wouldn't be a problem. But we do not want to be 99% faithful. So many pastors have been overconfident and then overwhelmed. Every year at our ministerial meetings, it seemed like there was another pastor who came to us to confess adultery. Two of the pastors that I followed in ministry had committed adultery before I got there. You see, we always have a choice, and that choice should be made long before we face the temptation. We need to make boundaries long before that ever becomes an issue. One pastor's family, they're friends of ours, uh, took in a young woman who had nowhere to stay. They were very compassionate. They were caring people, you see. And she needed to talk. And they were good listeners. And 99% of the time, it was no problem. What happened, the other 1% shattered their family. We need to know where the boundaries are. And we need to be very, very definite about that. Here she is in the house with Joseph, and there was no one else there. So no one would ever know. What do they say? What happens in Vegas is all over social media. Well, Joe didn't have to worry about that. Verse 12, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Now what? Well, we need to understand something here. When we're dealing with the enemy, we have a number of options. For example, James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So when you're dealing with the tempter, you resist until he runs. However, there are situations where resistance is futile, and this was one of them. In some areas, we're just too weak, we're too vulnerable, and that leaves us only one recourse. It says, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph fled. And that's the other option. Run! Run for your life. When it comes to the tempter, we need to resist until he runs. When it comes to temptation, don't try to resist, just run. That's the only battle you'll ever win by running away. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue Righteousness. If you don't want to be defeated, learn from the mistakes of others. Just look at the Bible. Samson, one of the strongest men who ever lived, was defeated by sexual temptation. David, one of the most spiritual men in history, was also defeated by lust. And and Solomon, one of the smartest ever, was overcome by temptation because none of them were willing to run. And it was this teenager who succeeded where those towering figures failed. And it was so simple, he just ran away. Which means you may have to quit your job. You may have to move out of town. You may have to break off a relationship. You may have to cancel your cable TV subscription. But that's too radical. Well... Isn't that better to cancel it than gouging out your eyes? You know what Jesus said when it came to lust? He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's radical, but it makes good sense. When you deal with this, you have to be absolutely radical. So what are you waiting for? Run! Joseph realized what was at stake. He was being groomed for greatness. But even more importantly, he was uniquely positioned as the only ambassador of God to the government of the world's leading superpower. Too much was at stake. And that's also true in our case. The passage that was read earlier, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Well done, Joseph. Good and faithful servant. Come and get your reward. And he lived happily ever after. Well, not exactly. I think it's really bad that God just doesn't understand the dynamics of modern psychology. Because this was a perfect opportunity to reward his star pupil and thereby reinforce his good behavior. But godliness is not a series of conditioned reflexes produced by the stimuli of positive reinforcements. Joseph was entitled to a healthy bonus at this point in his career. Instead, he's going to get fired for doing the right thing. Verse 16, she kept the cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story, that Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left the cloak beside me and ran out of the house. See, this is one thing you need to understand about the world system. They will handsomely reward you if you play by their rules. But if you dare to contradict them, look out. If you come down to their level, they will love you. But if you dare take the high road, they will turn against you. Ron Hutchcraft says, all that sinners want is someone to sin with. And so the easiest group to be accepted by is the crowd that's doing wrong together. Don't cultivate any relationship where sin is the glue that holds you together. If you ever cross them, there will be consequences. Poor Joseph. His wardrobe is always getting getting him into trouble. First, there was that coat of many colors, now the cloak that Potiphar's wife pulled off his back. Verse 19, when his master heard the story, <coughs> his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That's interesting. He put him in prison. I have a theory about that. I don't think Potiphar believed his wife's accusations. Because if he did... He wouldn't have sent Joseph directly to jail. He would have had him tortured and executed. The reason that didn't happen is because Potiphar knew Joseph's character. And he'd heard the rumors about his wife's promiscuity, but he had to do something to protect his reputation. He couldn't take the testimony of a slave over that of his own wife. He'd be the laughingstock of the royal palace. So he put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So here we go. Joseph does the right thing and ends up in prison. Well, how about that? Godliness doesn't pay. What's the point of doing right if everything goes wrong? Okay, God, what are you going to do now? Poor Joe has lost everything. He's worked so hard to achieve. He's lost his status, his reputation, a pending promotion of various perks and privileges, a pathway to greater opportunities. He's lost the leverage of influence to lead his employer towards faith. Joseph has lost everything. Or has he? It says in verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Although Joseph's life had spiraled out of control, although he's been falsely accused and sentenced to jail for a crime he didn't commit, commit, he has not lost the most important thing because God was still with him. And that's still the reason why we don't love the world. That's why we reject the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's why we resist the tempter, and that's why we run from temptation. We can afford to lose anything except the awareness of God's presence in our lives and our place in God's will. But while he was there in prison, the Lord was with him. You see, God had a plan. And to accomplish that plan, first of all, he had to get Joseph away from his dysfunctional family, and then he had to get Joseph away from Potiphar's promiscuous wife, even if that meant putting him in prison, because God has some very unusual escape routes. While he was in the employ of Potiphar, Joseph acquired valuable experience in Egyptian upper management. He had gone as far as he could in that institution. It was now time to move to the next level, even if you have to go down to get up and become last, to become first. So his prison garment was his graduation gown from the Potiphar Institute. It didn't look like it, but Joseph was now closer to the throne of Egypt than ever. For Joseph, everything was still going according to plan. It looked like a mess, but when the dust settled, the dream had not died. And more importantly, God was still with him. So what about you? I know you don't want to lose the awareness of God's presence. I know that you don't want to sabotage His will for your life. So that's why you need to know how to deal with temptation, whether it's lust or something else. You need to know how to deal with temptation. And you can't wait to figure it out when it finally confronts you. You have to make your decision well ahead of time. So, what's your exit strategy? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you will not allow us to be Tested and tempted beyond what we can bear. But you will always make a way out. And that's possible not because we have willpower or convictions. It's possible because we have the Holy Spirit who enables us to get victory over these things, whether it's resisting the tempter or running from temptation. And we have the Holy Spirit because of what happened on the cross, the salvation that we received through Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again for our salvation. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that we have victory through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.